it must have must be either that or you're yeah. losing it. One of the two, or both. <laughs> it's probably, it's probably, yeah, probably both, man. Have you I, been you've been getting some good skiing? In? You know, I've skied Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and I went on Monday and hadn't skied in 20 years. And so I went and rented equipment, and I really didn't know what to expect. I used to be a halfway decent skier, you know, mostly just sure. a resort-type skier. But, uh, yeah, rented the equipment, went up the mountain, just thought, well, don't think too much about it, just see what happens, and made about four or five turns, and it was like riding a bike. It came back pretty fast, which was nice. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Good deal. So you, you go out and buy some gear? Well, no, I haven't bought skis yet. I'm still renting skis and renting boots, but I've been trying uh, a bunch of different skis, trying to figure out which ones I like because I'm, I'm, you know, like I'm a resort skier. I always have been. We used to ski a lot uh, growing up, but, um, you know, I, I mostly just ski groomed runs and, you know, like to, you know, like to make lots of turns and, I'm not much for moguls or, you know, crud or anything like that. So I'm just trying to find the right ski. The equipment in 20 years is amazing how um, it's, oh, I mean, it's I know. come so far. I mean, you can turn so fast. You can turn on a dime. Um, yep. I've been trying a bunch of different pairs of skis. I found two yesterday that I really like. But I'm just I'm just having fun kind of getting back into the sport and I'm enjoying it. I, I mean, I, after the first run I made, I was like, I can't believe it's taken me 20 years to um, get back into this. Yeah. It's crazy how that stuff goes, but, but you're right, man. I mean, I, I've, I've taken like lulls in it and it's amazing. The, the skis, like how, how much, just how much, like the learning curve in skiing now is, is a tenth of what it was because of the skis. I mean, at least that's well, my, you know, my belief. And my perception, too, is um, just riding on the lift and then, you know, just skiing. You know, so I've done three days at Snowmass. I haven't gone over to Aspen Highlands or Aspen yet, but just per my perception of the overall skier, it seems like everybody's skiing better. And it, yeah, it, sure. you know, you don't see a lot of snow plowing. You don't see a lot of people on their back. You don't see a lot of people falling. And, yeah. I mean, even, even you know, the beginner hills and stuff, it seems like people are just picking it up a lot faster, and I think that goes to the equipment. You know, I think it. Yeah. I think it's a lot like archery, too, where some of these compound bows and such, I mean, someone that hasn't shot a bow, you know, if they have any coordination at all, um, a lot of times you can take someone that's you know, hasn't shot a bow very much and just be like, all right, draw back, do this, do that, and, man, they're putting arrows in there at, you know, 30 yards like, you know, they, no way they could have done it 25 years ago. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty much an assassin after a week of using one. I, I know what you mean. Um, it's uh, it is interesting. You know, probably snow. I mean, snow mass. You probably have. You know, it's probably a little bit of the crowd, Jay. But I think you're probably right too. Is it's just people get better faster. You'll like you'll like Aspen Highlands. I mean, it's even more so that way because you know there's nothing green there. Um, but so that that's kind of one. I mean, it's small. That's the only thing. But I'd love skiing that place. You know, the for me the perfect um, runs are groomed runs. I don't mind steep stuff. I, you know, I really like to make lots of turns, and I really like to make good turns. Um, sure. 
And so, you know, I, I actually like, you know, groomed and, and, you know, blues or double blues or even blacks that are groomed. Um, when I was young, I used to like to ski moguls and stuff, but, you know, I was skiing on like 200, or I guess it'd be 200 centimeter skis. Um, you know, and now it's rare to get them much over 185, so they're skiing a much shorter ski, a wider ski. Uh, I skied yeah. on some yesterday that were like 106, I guess it'd be millimeters wide, and yeah. um, just very stable, just phenomenal. Sure. Yeah, and, I, and I'm, I'm probably like, I'm the same as you, Jay. Like, I don't really, but I, I, I guess the caveat is I've never was really trained doing moguls or anything, but I never enjoy them. To me, they just always felt like work. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's yeah, and it's, you know, I'm 45 now, and it's like, my knees, yeah. well, I mean, especially with these dull sheep hunts coming up this summer, like, you know, Yeah, dark. you don't want to get screwed up. Dar's been like, so should I start training for my Arctic Red River sheep hunt? And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> and he's like, because when you blow yourself out, you know, he's like, you're an idiot at 45 to, with two dull sheep, dull sheep hunts yeah, coming yeah. up this summer to, to take up skiing. I'm just like, well, you know, I'm just taking it easy. So, but um, yeah, you'll be good. welcome to the podcast, Cliff. Let's just um, have fun and I uh, want to break down Colorado a little bit. Uh, you're an outfitter and guide. Um, you've got your business, Flat Top Wilderness Guides. Um, I want to I want to give you a chance to tell the listener you've been on the podcast a bunch before, and I've had great feedback from doing podcasts with you. But uh, tell the listener a little bit about uh, your operation, where you're located, and such. Sure, Jay, and thanks, thanks for having me on again. So I'm in what most people would call central Colorado. Uh, the closest town the closest town that most people uh, recognize is Vail. Uh, really, Gypsum and Eagle are a little bit closer to where my operation is. <clears throat> and I'd say 95% of what I do is in the wilderness area, in the flat tops wilderness. Um, all my stuff, for the most part, is horse and mule-based. Um, and then... You know, it's becoming, it seems like the last couple of years, it's tilted a little bit more towards deer and away from elk, but it's still probably, you know, 70% elk-focused hunts um, and then another 30% uh, mule deer hunts. Um, and that goes, I do archery all the way through fourth rifle. Um, and so I know we've gone, we've gone pretty in-depth in that stuff in, in earlier podcasts, but you know, I think the gist of it is it's it's horse-based trips, and uh, it is it's in a remote wilderness. So, like, I mean, when when people are calling me about hunts, you know, my hunts are they're about the game and seeing elk and and big deer and all that stuff, but they're also uh, a, a fair amount of the the component uh, or large component of it really is the experience. It's it's to me, it's one of the few places left, at least in the 48 states, that you can get get remote and kind of kind of hunt elk that way. Let's talk a little bit about um, some of those things you just said. I mean, if I would have asked you this question 15 years ago or even 20 years ago, you would have said that it's a completely, um, you know, elk-based operation with, you know, you know, obviously there's big deer around always. And then we yeah. had deer, you know, our deer numbers, there you're in your area you know just blew up and then you had that winter kill of 07 
talk a little bit about the deer, what kind of shape the deer are in, the herd itself in your area, maybe even in Colorado in general, any of that knowledge that you have about what is going on. Because, you know, one thing, and this is just an outsider's perspective, is Colorado used to be, you know, known for their elk and, you know, just if you want a great elk hunt, go to Colorado. And like you said, even in your operation, it's shifted a little bit more focusing on mule deer. Not that you don't do a lot of Colorado elk hunts, but, um, you know, the, the trophy quality in Colorado um, has never been great. And it's kind of gone through periods where it goes up and down. And even with this limited draw stuff, you know, even those limited draw units, have, you know, have some ebbs and flows. But talk a little bit about how, you know, it kind of goes from being an elk state to an, a, a mule deer state. It seems like every, the buzz right now is mule deer for Colorado. Yeah, and I can, you know, on that question, Jay, I mean, I'll, I can talk for probably an hour about it. So just kind of guide me a little bit if you feel like we're getting off track. But you know, the, I'd say that your perception is right, and part of that, so just on the deer front, I mean, you know, these counties, Pitkin, Garfield, Eagle County, I mean, they've always had big deer genetics, um, and I'll kind of focus on, you know, my opinions and thoughts on those counties, because that's what I'm really most familiar with, you know, Jay, um, but, you know, they're the three, three of the main counties that produce big deer, and they always have. I think the bigger question is that the density of them fluctuates uh, quite a bit, right? And we do seem to be on the upswing for sure, um, particularly since that winter kill. Um, you know, we do have age class back in almost all these units, even the easier to draw units. Um, so I think everybody's seen that. Um, and that's a, so that's a reality, just the population's better. Your chances of killing a big, you know, like a, a world-class deer are probably the best that I've seen in the last four or five years, for sure, or maybe even in the last, you know, eight or nine years, ten years. So I think, and everybody's seen that. I think it seems more profound because it happens to correlate with the fact that our elk herd is in pretty tough shape, I, I would say. I'd say it's, you know, last year was the first year that at least among among the outfitting community, it was pretty unanimous that the elk herd suffering in Colorado. Um, and that's, you know, raw numbers, um, population dynamics like calf ratios and that sort of thing. And then that that's all reflected in, in bull quality, right? You know, the units here, most of the, the big wilderness units, they, you know, they were never managed for, you know, for, for massive bulls or anything, you know, Jay, but the, those bulls have always existed, um, and they still do in the wilderness just because they're such big, vast swaths of remote stuff, but I'd say the density of them is pretty low right now. I think the bigger question on the elk, um, you know, they're, they've been having some local meetings with people, and the same thing was reflected is that people aren't seeing the numbers of elk, and, they're, and the more disturbing thing is that they're not seeing the calves, or right now you'd call them yearlings, right, this late, but um, they're not seeing the numbers that we really should be. So um, there's lots of theories of why that's happening. I think in terms of, you know, your listeners just thinking about hunting, Colorado's still got a ton of elk. It's still a great elk state. It's just it happens to be kind of a teeter-totter right now that deer are getting really good and elk are kind of on the, on the, on the downside. 
how much of that, well, I know a bunch of units have gone to limited draw and we've, you know, been in a period where, you know, it, it definitely, the quality has definitely come up and, but how much of that is, is directly related to, um, well, what I'm trying to say. It seems like in the over-the-counter units, every elk gets penalized just for being a five-point bull or having a, you know, what is it, a five- or six-inch brow tine and they get shot. Mm -hmm. uh, then yep. you've got your limited draw units that, you know, the quality is a little bit better. But it, from an outsider looking in and the game and fish going, well, where's all our hunters going? Well, if the quality of experience is go if, if it's going down and the quality size of elk is going down and every legal bull that is out there is getting shot at, my, I would argue like, well, duh, like you're taking the resource that, you know, you've built your reputation on and now you've just blistered it. Can you speak to yeah, that or so, is, that, is that a perspective yeah, yeah, no, I mean, outside yeah, of I mean, it, like is not... You know, no, I think I think I think you're no, I think you're spot on, and and it reflects you know the view that I've expressed pr pretty pretty publicly and and pretty aggressively, Jay. So basically, the the problem you have in in you know not to not to make it a total political conversation, but the problem you have is that the elk herd is what pays for everything in Colorado. If you really look at the budget of the fish and game guys, the elk herd is is what the the elk herd, but also within the elk herd, it's really the over-the-counter bull tag, right? And then within that, it's non-residents. That, that's if you got to pick one tag that moves the needle in terms of budgetary stuff, it's it's over-the-counter bull tags um, for sure, right? So mm -hmm. we have, to, you know, that's something that the state um, is dealing with, and it, it is a problem, right? Because if we don't keep the quality of those hunts up. We're going to lose non-resident hunters. That's going to affect budgetary stuff. And it's going to affect the budget of the fishing game that's already in pretty pretty tough shape, right? Um, so is that, does that kind of hit on what you're, what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it, you know, it's one of those things that it seems like all of these state agencies, you know, bless their heart, it's like they all need money. But then there's yeah. this whole, you know, everybody wants an over-the-counter elk hunt, which I, I get, but then when you've depleted the numbers so much or depleted the age class in those OTC units, you have, in essence, you know, the go you've cooked the golden goose almost. And, and I, tell me if I'm speaking out of turn, but that's just, you know, I live here half, you know, half the year in the summer, uh, you know, not even half the year, but I live here in the summer and I, I talk to a lot of people and they're like, man, it, these OTC areas are just not like they used to be, and maybe that's just the people I'm talking to, and maybe that no, I, I mean, really no, it's, not the truth. No, it's a unanimous. I mean, it's it's pretty unanimous now, Jay. And I think you know, unfortunately, um, so you're you know you're probably talking to a lot of residents that understand it and they're seeing that, or people who hunt here or whatever, right? But it, it's a bigger issue because it really affects the non-resident community a lot, right? Because Colorado elk is like, I mean, in terms of just going bull hunting, I mean, where else do you have the opportunity you do in Colorado, right? So it's a pretty, 
I mean, it's a pretty major issue. I think the bigger deal, like when you really look at the population dynamics, the bigger question is why, why hasn't the fish and game on the herds that have, you know, pretty low fertility, they're down in the, you know, 20 or lower uh, calf production, that sort of thing, why have they not just completely stopped female harvest, right, Jay? That's, I think that's the big issue, right? And, my but I opinion, think when you talk to go ahead. them, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead and give no, me. No, go ahead, Jay. Well, I was, I was just going to say, go ahead, man. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is I'm going to get all fired up on this and keep walking know, over I'm, you, so go, go for it. I'm, get, I'm getting fired up, too. It's like <laughs> when you talk to these game and fish managers, when you talk to these wildlife managers, they say that they've got too many elk and they're over harvest objective or they're over their population and they, they think they have too many but then I talk to lots of outfitters and lots of hunters and they say the opposite it's like somewhere something isn't jiving we've got you know outfitters that are in the field every day and they're like no we don't have near the elk we used to and then you talk to the managers and they're like we have more elk and you know we're not shooting enough elk and we need to shoot more cow elk and I'm like man somewhere there's a disconnect yeah, and so um, I would say probably, and this is going to get for sure uh, opinionated, Jay, but I'd say the first thing is just the data quality. is pretty, I, would, I would call it piss poor, uh, and you're talking to a guy that's dealt with data not only in outfitting but also in my, you know, outside of that professional life. Generally, their statistics and data are horrendous. Um, I, I don't think that they, that's, so I think that's a fundamental issue, right? Um, I think the other thing is that there is a, you know, we, it, it's kind of, a, it's, the easiest way to explain it is we, we want to manage them on science, but when a system is going broke, there's always going to be a bias, right? Like, they don't want to, you know, it, it's, if, if you have an elk herd that's sustaining massive revenue numbers, right, do you really want to admit that it's crippled, right? Um, right. So I think, you know, I think that is like a really scary component of it. I mean, not only as a hunter, and I want people to have, you know, good quality hunts and more people to get into big game hunting and all that, but also have a business that's, that's tightly, you know, tightly tied to it just from an economic standpoint. But I think the bigger thing <clears throat> is that, you know, it is it, like most people when they get into Western big game, game hunting, it is elk in Colorado tends tends to be where they get into it a lot of the time because Arizona is harder to draw a tag or whatever. So it affects, to me, it affects the whole Western community. There, sh there should be quite a bit of uproar, uproar about it. And, I'm, you know, I've been kind of squeaking about it for the last three or four years and lately been much more vocal about it. But I've also noticed that, like, when I went to, we had a local meeting here, I don't know, two, three weeks ago, I would say that unanimously, you know, outfitters, resident hunters, everybody was on the same page about it being just not the there's just no the elk herds are just pretty much devastated um so yeah i don't i don't know what to say other than um you're talking to somebody that uh tries to fight the fight constantly and it's frustrating because it's hard and, like i will say these guys they they're good guys. I interact with them all the time, Jay. And, like, 
the local guys in particular, like I'd consider them friends, and they're they're on it. But the pro you're talking about like there might be bigger system issues, right? That uh, that are that are just I I don't think that like the elk herd is going is you know is on a spiral to zero or anything like that. But I think what's happening is we're probably way lagging behind in terms of management, right? Like are you know are they manage, managing the the elk herd five years behind reality? You know what I mean? And that and that's probably you know, they, true. Yeah, and I think that's basically what's ha what's happening, and their po their politics are what or what's screwing that is screwing that up, and the in the general the general system. It's it's you know they have some, you know we can we can argue about you know uh, public management of um of game and everything, and there's a a ton of great things about it, and you know about you know the science managing the game makes sense, but you can't. You can't kid yourself into thinking that there's not some bias that's based on budgetary stuff or or whatever. And I think that's what we're seeing. I, you know, on the on the question you kind of hit you hit on about you know limited dry areas being affected. Um, the reality with that is that mule deer, like you know, my mule deer are pretty, you know, that are pretty migratory, but they're nothing compared to my elk. Like if a big bull lives in a limited entry area, if if they're still hammering the elk in other areas, I mean, it's a very good chance in most of these units he's going to walk off that walk off into an over the counter unit at some point in his life. You know what I mean? They right. can just travel. Right. They just travel more. So you're you you just have a you have a, a you know you it affects them for sure. In genetically, in your opinion, if if, and it would never happen, we're just talking hypothetically here, but yeah. if they said, okay, we're going to go like three years and we're not going to harvest any bull elk, yeah. in your opinion, would, I mean, would Colorado, and then all of a sudden you come in that fourth year, so you go three full years, you don't harvest any bull elk, you come in that fourth year, in your opinion, would there be ever bit as big of bulls in Colorado, I mean, across the top end as there is in any state? I mean, do you feel like genetically that the, the genetics in Colorado are ever bit as good as any, you know, Utah, Arizona, you know, Montana, some of these states, New Mexico, where there's some big, big elk? I mean, to me, yeah, it's an so age-class I mean, thing. Yeah, I think, so I, I'm not really in-depth on the science, but I do know this, Jay, that a lot of these bulls actually have the same exact genetic base because they came out of, you know, the, the basically the elk herd here was decimated, right, and it was in several other states. So they, they essentially transplanted, transplanted elk out of Yellowstone, right? Those genetics are a lot of it are across Colorado. So, like, if you look at, like, you know, these northwest units that got big bulls or whatever, and then you've got, I know they transplanted some, you know, in areas of Montana and other places. Like, you, you have this, the genetic base is pretty similar. Now, you could argue that really aggressive harvest of young bull, you know, of, of you know, these over-the-counter units that get hammered, you could, you could argue that since those, those transplant, that the, that the genetic mix kind of, kind of, um, uh, change right. Basically, bulls that got legal faster got killed. So you you kind of change the gen the genetics of the bulls, 
you know, when I've talked to guys about it's not, it, it, it'd be hard to argue that's actually happened. So you kind of have the same genetic base. Now, down in Arizona and stuff, I don't know, Jay, like there might be some little differences there. But just as an anecdote, like my area in the flat tops, like I've had guys send me pictures from like way, you know, from the 70s, like black and white pictures of three 380 inch bulls, you know, 390 inch bulls. So they, they I mean, the bulls can get that big. I think it's just age. You know, I mean, there's always going to be yeah. a little component of, of, of genetics. But if you think about it, I mean, it's the same elk. They, they all came, a lot of them came out of the same places, you know. Are you of the opinion, this is always a, this is always a good campfire kind of yeah, sure. argument type of thing. Um, if, if your five-point bulls are doing a lot of the breeding, rather than, you know, some of your six-point bulls or your older age class bulls doing the breeding. My opinion is, and it, it may be wrong, but my opinion is that semen or, you know, that what they pass on, it's the same. Like, genetically, yeah. it's the same. And Am I wrong in the fact that if a five-point bull is doing the breeding, it's, it's not a five-point bull because it's never going to be a six. It's, it's a five-point bull because it's young, but it's doing the breeding Whereas a six-point bull or better that's, you know, six, seven, eight, nine years old, it could be, you know, a six-point, seven-point, you know, extra kickers and whatever, but breeding is breeding and... Yeah, I mean, genetics, genetics are genetics. It's a, if, a, if a, you know, if a spike with great genetics breeds a bunch of cows, which they're capable of, I mean, they, they, the calves are going to have great genetics, right? Right, okay. Yeah, and you know, and it, and it's an... Go ahead. I think we could talk forever on this. Let's transition a little <laughs> bit because I think we're going to bore your listeners. That's what you're saying. <laughs> I think it's fun to talk about, but we also got to cover some ground on. Yeah, the yeah I got you. To apply for Colorado is midnight, April 3rd, coming yep. up. Um, and there's some changes this year to the Colorado draw. Um, you, you no longer do anything on paper. Everything has to either be on the phone or uh, online. And yep. I believe you no longer have to front any license fees to apply. Um, tell, me if, uh, tell me if I'm right and if you know of any other um, changes there. Yeah, so I would say I can go through a couple changes they, they did, Jay, but I'd say the biggest one that's the, the talk of the town is for sure the fact that you don't have to front the tag, the tag prices as a non-resident anymore, um, and then the online system. It, it's related, right? So basically the online system, if you've been applying to Colorado, um, when you go to apply this year, you're going to realize that their software on, you know, on their website, it's completely new, right? I, I've... I've gone through it with a bunch of my hunters and myself. It, in general, I think it's a great improvement. Everything works better. It's less clunky, all that, right? Um, it's easier to check how many preference points you have and everything. But it's a little. There's a little pain in the butt uh, factor getting set up because if you if you have historical points and all that, you need to go in there and set up an account with your. Uh, I can't remember what they call the number. But it's on all your licenses. The, oh, they call oh, it a the CID. CID number. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So you need to go in there and set up a, a new account on their new system. So it, and people have run into little issues with that. But but I found that they've been super responsive as you, as 
if you call them, they just, they, you know, because they're kind of ready for this. So that's the big change on the, I guess, the functional end of things. And then this deal with the application. So now whenever you go and um, apply, all they're going to do is hit you like, I think it's $3 per species or three. I think it might even be, yeah, it's $3 that's per three species. Bucks, yeah. yeah, and so it's basically it, it's a lot easier for a non-resident to apply now, right? They're not going to hit your card for the tag amount until you actually draw. So I think that's probably the most significant uh, change. I mean, you know, if if there you might have there might be a few people out there that uh, were doing it, you know, or only wanted to do it via paper. I'm sure most people were kind of tired of doing Colorado applications, you know, via via paper application. So I don't think there's right. any big issues there. Everybody's probably ready to go to the internet. So that's the biggest change. Um, there's some other little little small changes I don't even think people are going to notice. Like I know on group applications, uh, the leader has to apply first. You used to be able to kind of do it simultaneously. Um, but, I mean, those little things I don't think people are even going to notice. Um, are, are those kind of the changes you were thinking of? Yeah, you know, one thing that struck me is um, <laughs> the license fee for a resident is 31 bucks. Mm -hmm. That's that seems so cheap to me that you can buy a thirty-one dollar license and go elk hunting or go deer hunting. Uh, and I don't. <laughs> Joe, you keep bringing you you keep wanting to bring it back to the political conversation we just we just <laughs> avoided. But yeah, no, no it's crazy, it's, man. It's three it's three ninety six for non residents, which I think is extremely fair. But honestly, thirty one dollars sure. for residents. I mean, that is so cheap compared to a lot of states. And then the application fee. Of three dollars, I mean, I, I want to say Arizona's thirteen, uh, New Mexico's thirteen, or maybe fourteen. I mean, three bucks to apply. I mean, that is almost borderline ridiculous. I want to say to the Colorado Department of Wildlife, and people are probably going to shoot me, and I'm going to get hate mail. But like, three <laughs> bucks? I mean, I mean, three bucks. Raise that to ten bucks, and man, I mean, we've got to come up with money to pay for our wildlife. And three bucks just seems cheap. Now, I, please don't send yeah. the hate mail. But it does, <laughs> as an outsider, and I apply in Colorado every year, I mean, I'm happy yeah. it's three bucks, but it's like, man, well, I mean, if they're struggling for money, why wouldn't they charge, you know, 750 or at least charge what all the other states do? Yeah, so um, I, you know, I, I can't answer that, Jay. I will say that there is a, Oh, and I'm, I apologize. I can't remember the name of the bill, but there's a bill that's in the process right now, and it's it's gonna pass, and it's gonna bump up um, resident tags. Not not a lot, but I think I think it's an eight dollar increase, and then it CPI adjusts them right, so th they'll they'll continue to increase with inflation. So they 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 are working on that. You know, it, it's hard politically for them to. To make progress on on those fronts, um, I will say that you know when they proposed that increase for residents, even the resident population here was was pretty. Uh, I mean, basically Up didn't fight it. Yeah, they, I mean oh, they, they, they basically didn't. didn't they didn't fight it. Yeah, they didn't fight okay. it as okay. much as they had on stuff in the past. I think I think everybody here is realizing that the the state is in a crunch. You know, um, but. Uh, yeah, I one, don't know one thing that. I saw. 
Go ahead. One thing I saw, Cliff, is you have to have a habitat stamp, which I think is great, 10 bucks. So in order to apply, you have to have a $10 habitat stamp. It seems like I remember that you could apply before, but before you actually came hunting, you had to purchase the habitat stamp. It seems like this change, I think you have to buy the habitat stamp before you even apply, which I think is better, and I think it's actually easier. But correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't there a time when you could actually put in, you could actually draw, you could actually get a license, but your license like wasn't valid until you did have that habitat stamp? Now you have to do it all up front? I mean, i I got to think that's a better program. Yeah, they, so they, they simplified that. And I will say, Jay, and this is, I, I they haven't done a really good job of making this clear, um, but... Uh, I think it's going to surprise some people. If if you put in, and you just put in for preference points, or you put in for um, you put in for draw tags, but you don't draw right, so you're going to earn a preference point. They if you don't if you don't have I think it's a uh, any sort of hunting license in Colorado or drew some big game tag, they are going to hit you for what forty dollars, which they call like a it's like a preference point fee or something like fee. that. Yeah, preference and, point fee. Yeah, it's forty it, bucks for deer, elk, and antelope. Yeah. And it, so is you that will, also you will for get goat hit and that. sheep? Yeah. Okay. So you will you so, will get hit with that. So that is so me saying three dollars for an application fee and now I'm looking at the preference point fee is forty bucks. So that's actually way higher than say New Mexico or Arizona where it's thirteen dollars to apply. And you get your preference point. So, so actually, so actually, I'm wrong in that. Colorado is going to get some money back because they're charging basically forty dollars for. If you just did preference points across the board, it's going to be forty bucks for each animal. Correct? Yeah. But what's weird is that they're not going to charge it when you first apply. They're going to charge it when you don't draw, and then the point, and then the, and then you get the point instead of the tag, right? So gotcha. it's basically when your card doesn't get hit for the tag, it's going to get hit for this forty dollars. And I'm actually, this is this is because they didn't make this real clear. I'm going to read it real quick so your just your listeners know. Hunters will be automatically assessed forty dollars per species for a preference point unless they have purchased one of the following. A fishing license, a small game license, a resident combination small game license, or a fur bear, or they have a big game license in the previous year, or a current current limited license that they drew in the draw. Does that make sense? See, it's it, it's kind of convoluted. So if you had well, it a is because so if I have a fishing license from last summer and I apply for Colorado and I do let's just say I do preference points across the board. Are they saying that the forty dollars does not apply then? That that's the way I read it. You know, and and, and, so, and then you wonder, and then you want to look and see, like, you know, you want to see if there's some sort of arbitrage, right? Like, you can just buy the, you know, you're going to yeah. get points, so can you just buy the non-resident fishing license, right? But see, uh, uh, you'd have to look at that. I don't know what the fishing license costs right off the the top of my head. You'd think they would have figured that out, you know. I buy one every year. I, want, I don't. I want to say it's like fifty bucks, but um, but buying a fifty dollars fishing license rather than putting it for deer, elk, antelope, sheep, and goat and moose, I guess. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, like, like, like six, it's not. That's, even, that's, it's not even close. That's yeah, forty bucks right there. Yeah, so it might but, be. 
The way you read Go it, ahead. though, it said if you had a fishing license from the prior year that you don't have to pay the $40 fee. Yeah, it says for a preference point unless they have purchased one of the following, an annual fishing license, small game license, you know, all the, all the things, or a big game license in the previous year, or a current limited license in the draw for the same species for which they seek a point, right? So, it, and then it says the point is way for youth, lifetimes license holder, and uh, people who own uh, senior annual fishing licenses. So the, it's on page 18 of their brochure. But the way I read it, basically, that's the arbitrage, right? Buy a fishing license and you don't have to pay the $40. Um, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's like a, it's kind of an, you know, this is a new thing. So if it's actually going to work out that way, I wouldn't want to, like, promise your listeners. But it sure reads yeah. that way, you know. It sure does read that way. Uh, yeah, looks like look at that. We, just, we days, probably just made everybody 150 bucks. Yeah, I'll probably get a. I'll probably get a. My Colorado fishing license will be void now because the DOW will be <laughs> like, "That sucker just cost us all kinds of money." <laughs> <laughs> um, let's look at the dates. Uh, archery dates typically are like that last part of August. I don't really see any new change there. August 25th to September 24th. Um, muzzleloader dates. Uh, 8th to the 16th, second rifle deer season, October 20th to the 28th, third rifle, and, and rifle and elk, those seasons are, are, they coincide, right? So November 3rd to yeah. the 11th, and then fourth season is November 14th to the 18th. Um, speaking specifically, well, let, let's back up. Uh, the units in which your operation runs in is what are your units? So I primarily hunt unit 25. I hunt a little bit of 26 and a little bit of the south side of 24. Okay. So those are over-the-counter elk, but the whole state is limited draw for deer. So for the listeners out there, and correct me if I'm wrong, Cliff, there are no over-the-counter deer units in the state of Colorado, but there are over-the-counter elk uh, units where you can just come buy a license and buy a tag and go elk hunting, whereas deer, you have to apply for the draw because the whole state is limited draw for deer. Is that correct? Yeah, so that's correct. I think there's some... There's some very there's very little caveat to that on the deer. I think in out in the east eastern part of the state, there's you know some whitetail stuff or something where you can buy the tag. But but ninety nine point nine percent of what everybody's interested in, what you just said is, is correct. And then let's talk about um, when you have hunt choices. So when. It, every state is a little different. Like in Arizona, you can do your first and second choice. You can also put three, four, and five, but they basically look at your first and second first. If you don't get it, then you go. it goes back into a draw, and then they go back and do the third, fourth, and fifth. Colorado is a little bit different, correct? So, so explain how it's different, Jay. I'm trying to... I'm, well... In, in other words, don't they have one through four? They don't have five choices. They just have four choices. Yeah, and don't yep, they, that's correct. And don't they look at your first choice? And, yep. It, it, basically, they, it, and then the, 
the second, third, and fourth is a totally different draw. Am I wrong on that? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. So in the significant p component of that is that if you draw it, so your first choice, it goes through that, and then if you don't, it, and it's completely separate, right? So they, they do your first choice, you're in that pool. If you don't draw that, you're immediately going to get a preference point for the species, right? And your other choices don't, don't matter in terms of getting a preference point. You're, you're going to get your point, and so if you draw your second, your second choice, you can get the, you can get the limit, limited entry tag, and you'll end up with a point. Does that make sense? Yeah, and that was something that I kind of caught on to last year and we tried to talk about on the podcast is the fact that you can actually draw your second choice mule deer permit and go hunting on a pretty good hunt in some pretty good units, but you can still get your preference point and, and apply for your you know home run unit, let's call it, Mm -hmm. And still get your point, but still go on, you know, a, maybe a second season uh, a deer hunt and, and have a chance at a pretty good buck. And that's something that I think a lot of people don't understand. And fill in the holes where I, you know, might not have been too yeah. clear there. Nope. So I, I, think, I think you hit it perfectly for people's understanding. I, I would say that I can kind of generalize that there I, – I would say that there's very good – in terms of quality, so none of the hunts that none of the hunts that you can draw as a second choice and keep your preference points, none of them are going to be re high quality and really easy access hunts. You know what I mean? A lot of them, a lot of them will be harder harder to access hunts with very high quality or they might, you know, or, or non-rifle hunts or whatever. So generally what you're looking at, most of those hunts in there, they're going to be like second season rifle tags in, in some pretty, in pretty exceptional deer country. A lot of those you can draw as second choices. Um, and then a lot of your archery, ta <clears throat> your archery tags you can draw as second choices. And there's a few muzzleloader tags you can draw as second choices. So, I mean, it's a lot of, I mean, it's actually a fair amount of, I mean, a lot of these units you can draw second choices that produce, you know, big, big deer. You know, I think um, guys that are consider themselves pretty serious mule deer hunters, if they're not doing that, I, I have no idea why. Why? You know what I mean? Because, I mean, I know guys that kill 200-inch deer on second choice hunts. You know, not more than one, more than one time. You know, so, while um, while still accumulating their their preference points for their first choice application yeah. correct yep yep cliff as you know um gohan insider is a sponsor of my podcast they're actually the title sponsor and i'm actually on gohunt.com uh, insider right now and i'm looking they've got a pretty cool graph here and um ev every state and every animal they do uh basically an application strategy and i'm looking at this and it's actually a pretty neat chart and it's showing um, Colorado post-hunt deer population estimate from 2004 to 2016. What's interesting is it's showing the, pop, the deer population in 04 as uh, 600,000 um, in 2005 at a high of 613,000. Uh, 06, it's 612, and then 07, 
drops to 538, which that was the winter kill. They had that you know heavy winter in 07, but it drops from 538 all the way down to 466. Then it continues just dropping every year, 09, 2010, 11, 12, 13, and it looks like it bottomed out in 13 at 390,660 estimated mule deer in the state of Colorado. One thing that's interesting to me is that in 2014, it bumped up to 424,000, then it bumped up to 435,000, and then last last or it's showing 2016 as it's come down to 418 so it, it did start to tip down a little bit in my wow what a what a difference between the the low of 2013 of you know 390,000 so let's just call it 400,000 deer to the high of 613,000 so there's 200,000 deer in a period of eight years that are gone. I mean, think about two hundred thousand animals gone. That that yeah. that's kind of an amazing chart. Um, and I know a lot of that, and I'd like you to weigh in on it. A lot of that had to do with that huge winter kill in '07, right? Right. Yeah. So how I mean, much do you think? How much do you think? Like the Colorado in general has had a super mild winter. Um, you know, like super mild. How much do you think a super mild winter like what we're having will have an impact and we'll see this this um, graph start to really tip up on a year like this? Yeah, so I would say that, uh, well, what, when I talk to the fish and game guys, they'll always, like this time of year, you, get, you start feeling like, oh, the deer must be doing good. And the deer look like, I mean, usually, like right now, Jay, the deer are starting to look pretty ragged. You know what I mean? They just—it's just a long winter here, you know. But deer look yeah. good, like they look healthy, you know. Um, and but they'll always forewarn. You know, you could always get big. You know, you can get ice ups in the winter range, right? Like we can get wet snow, and they can get cold and ice it up, and that that can cause big winter kill. Even even we're we're not like out of that zone, right? Um, so I guess that'd be the first caveat, but let's just say it stays really mild like this. You know, is it going to have a big, you know, a big, huge uh, upswing? I mean, I, I hope it does. Um, I, you know, I, I, really, I really don't know. I, I know. I know it has an impact on quality of bucks for sure because it has been the last few years. We're just not, the, just the bigger bucks are not dying. You know what I mean? They're just, they're just not... They're, so they're your observation as an miles. outfitter, your observation as an outfitter in your units is that your buck quality is getting better and better and better, and that this mild winter, you're very optimistic for this coming season because it's very mild compared to other years, and you've already been seeing a trend of the deer, and especially your bucks getting better. Every, you know, the last couple of years, your bucks have gotten better and better, right? And so you've got right. to be pretty optimistic about what you probably will see this fall. Yeah, yeah, and I am. And so I think, to me, that's the bigger bigger thing with it. How much it's going to affect, going to affect the overall population, I don't know. What, but it's it kind of kicks back to the elk thing. You know, like, we've had three really, you know, pretty darn mild winters. You know, last year we, we did have, 
you know, a fairly large snowpack, but I consider it still mild. We didn't have, like, any conditions that should have decimated anything. But we haven't had an explosion of elk, which that's disturbing. It, but the reason is is because you don't have the calves, right? I mean, if, if the if the if the herd, and this goes for deer too with the fawns, if they go into the winter and they've only got 20, 25 per 100 young with them, right, it doesn't matter how good the winter is, you're not going to have these big upswings, right? And so that's, mm-hmm. that's the question. I mean, I'm very, I'm very in tune on the elk, and the, the, those ratios are low. And so that means even though we're having these mild um, falls, like, or excuse me, these mild winters, we're still not getting, I mean, 10 years ago, if you had three winters like this, I mean, they'd be calling out the troops to kill cows. You know what I mean? Because three years like this, those elk would be, would, the herd would have gone up 30%. You know what so I mean? Why, you aren't the, why aren't the cows having more calves? So look that's, out, like, that's, answer. Yeah, that's the major question. And it applies to deer, too. The deer seem to be doing, like, a little bit better, Jay, and there could be some, some other reasons for that. But, and so that's like, this is, like, the big the big thing. If you look at studies, because they're doing it in northern New Mexico, they've been on it a little bit more because they've seen decline in calf ratios too. And they're, it's pretty unanimous that they're, they're saying it's bears, right? Because bears are killing the calves when they're really young, you know, when they're basically first couple weeks of being born. And so that's why your calf ratios are low. It's just basically your predation from black bears is way up. Right, and that seems to be what's going on here. We don't have like the academic research to 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 support it, unfortunately. But everybody seems to acknowledge that's part of it. The other the other thing they try to look at here, partic- particularly in the in the part of Colorado that you spend your time and you know where we live here, is the that human activity does have a fair a fairly negative effect on on deer with fawns and cows with calves when they're young. And so a lot of this calving ground that has a lot of other activity, it does affect the elk. Um, my personal opinion that it's way more biased towards bears because in my country, there's no other human activity. And we still have low calf ratios, right? And so that doesn't... But, it, but that also doesn't, you don't... Colorado doesn't have a spring bear hunt. They only have a fall bear hunt. So in other words, those bears come out of hibernation and they're, what, you know, what do you do when you come out of hibernation? You know, you haven't, you're, you come out and you, you're hungry. And then so all of a yeah, sudden, yeah. As oh, as yeah. they come out of hibernation, here's all these calves and fawns. They're just going to, I mean, you've seen it yourself in your country where they'll just come in and just start just killing them for fun almost. Yeah. They're eating them yeah, and no, killing them for fun too. Yeah, they'll, I mean, and what it is is they get, because they only have a couple, the bears are only effective on them like for a couple weeks. And it's like, it's basically in what I would call like the camo phase, right, where the ca- the cows are just hiding the calves or the does are just just hiding the fawns. And the, a bear will just work calving ground and just tear one calf in half and then go over and gut another calf and whatever. And so they can just hammer them, right? And, and right now, and, you know, this – I mean, the obvious thing on all this money stuff, Jay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go there one more time and then we'll, we'll keep going with the conversation. <laughs> but the obvious solution on the money thing, and for everybody, not just Colorado residents, anybody that hunts Western big game should be focused on it in Colorado now, is a spring bear hunt would solve 
it would bring in more money, and it would it would my opinion would turn this elk herd around, right? And in the three dollar application fee, or all the, the eight dollars additional a resident pays, or whatever, that's nothing compared to three years, four years from now, this state just spewing out opportunity over the counter oper- good hunting opportunities for bull elk hunters. If they got that cranking again by basically predator predator control on these bears, they wouldn't have financial problems. If you look at the math, it's like that's what drives the whole thing. But the problem is, is it's just politically hard in this state to pursue that, and these guys know it. I personally think they still should because if you don't, I mean, the analogy I use is it's like being diagnosed with cancer and saying you only got, you know, 40% chance of living, and then you just roll over and say, well, I'm just going to die, right? That's kind of the philosophy now on instead it. Instead of being proactive you know, but, about it. Yeah, instead of just being like, no, this is BS. We're going to pursue this. And unfortunately, I wish we had more non-resident push here on that subject. I just don't think people know, because that's obvious solution. If the bears are killing the economic engine of this thing, like, I hate to say it, but just nobody wants to hunt bears in the fall. And so why not, why not, you know, solve that issue? And then if you talk to, and just to add another layer to it, if you talk to all the local enforcement from Colorado Parks and Wildlife, in the spring, all they do is spend their time catching bears in town. Aspen, Eagle, Glenwood, all that. That's all they do. And they don't get to do the job that they're hired for, right? And and it's... Believe me, I talked to them. They hate it. You know what I mean? They want to go out. They want to be out, you know, you know, getting data on elk or, or, you know, doing enforcement stuff, checking fishermen, whatever. They don't want to be dog catchers. You know what I mean? So to me, that's an obvious one. Like, what? what I mean, why? You know, but it's just politics, you know. Do you think the bears have more of an impact on elk and deer than the lions? And because you guys have also been jammed into a quota season for lions and, you know, the quotas, you know, yeah, so, I, I think are very low. And so between the lions and the bears, but do you think the bears are more of a problem? I, I think I heard yeah, you so say right, the bears are more of a problem on the elk for sure. Yeah, so on the elk calves, bears are more of a problem, right? I mean, it's an anecdotal observation, but I'd say most people would agree with that, right? The lions, the, what I would say about the lions, like right now, I mean, we're hunting them in these big deer areas, you know what I mean? And we are getting the quota out of the deer areas. So I think they do get hunted. So, I mean, uh, they for sure could could have more hunting pressure. We're, I mean, the lions are doing great, but the the... It, for sure, if, you, if you're out hunting lions with people and you talk to lion hunters, they kill way more deer than they do elk, right? So I think the bigger question on lions is like you were saying, you know, you can't believe the, you know, the impact of, um, you know, 200, you know, 200,000 deer off the landscape. Well, imagine if this state lost lion hunting. Now all of a sudden maybe the bear thing is less of an issue, right? And the lion hunting, the lion hunting, it, you know, now, just if you do the math pretty quick, I mean, let's just say, 
each lion's killing, you know, 30 deer a year, which I, you know, it's kind of a low estimate of what they say. And you look at what, you know, how many lions are being killed a year. I mean, start taking that off the landscape every year and see what your deer herd looks like. You know what I mean, Jay? So right now I think bears are more relevant, but that's because they haven't made lion hunting illegal, you know, but it could happen in, in this state, right. you know. So um, yeah, does that I mean, answer your question? Yeah, I mean, it's one thing that we're, I, I, I know it's got to worry a bunch of the resident, you know, the, well, anybody that hunts Colorado, whether they're resident or non-resident, um, that's something that needs to be worried about. Um, definitely, we all worry about in our state levels, politics plays a huge role. I mean, I think, you know, the grizzly bear ban in, in B.C., right, where um, it was totally political. I mean, it just got banned. I mean, it could happen to mountain lions. It, for that matter, it could happen to bears in the state of Colorado as well. I mean, sure. it, it's sometimes scary when there's people that just, you know, I'm at odds with, with a lot of what they think, and but there's a, a bunch of them, and it seems like they're multiplying by the day. And um, at any well, given I, time, I if, they, if they outlawed bear hunting and, and lion hunting and Colorado, I mean, you can kiss your elk goodbye. Yeah, so you can kiss your elk goodbye, but the other thing is you can you can kiss the best mule deer state by too, right? Oh, like, absolutely. You know, absolutely. like and and to me, to me, the that's the the only way to combat it, Jay. Is like all your listeners who are non-residents when they see, and I've tried to do you know be better at it myself even and try to not be so self-centered here in colorado but when they see ballot initiative in arizona or a, if a ballot initiative comes up in colorado if you're a guy from missouri you're a guy from pennsylvania if you like deer hunting and elk hunting you ha like it has to be a major that you got to consider that an attack on you because that's the only way that any of this is going to be combated is that any western hunter regardless of where you live this should be, like, number one priority. And I personally think it should be number one priority of all these of, of these, found, these foundations, to, or not foundations, but, you know, the Wild Sheep Foundation, the, the Goat Alliance, yeah. all, you know, the Mule Deer Foundation. Well, it should be unanimous that having some control over predators is a big, big deal, you know. And, right, uh, so and, what you're yeah, saying I mean, is if one state gets attacked, everybody should take notice because as soon as that take state... They're not going to stop until they get that state attacked and done, but don't think that they're going to stop right there. They're going to keep coming after more states, and they're going to say, well, we already did it in California. We already did it in Oregon. We already did it in Colorado. Now we're going to do it in Utah. Now we're going to do it in Montana. Now we're going to do it in Arizona. That's what you're saying, right? Yeah. No, I'm, yeah, I'm saying that, and then I'm also saying just – so Colorado is – everybody knows Colorado is the front lines politically, right, Jay? But the other thing about Colorado is if you add up all the quality deer hunts, and, yeah, we, we've spent the last, you know, hour kind of talking negatively on the elk, but in the <laughs> end, there's still a ton of elk getting killed here every year. It, I mean, it shadows most of these other states by a huge proportion. So it, right. it's not only that it's a chain of an event, it's a reality here just from the sake that, I mean, if they took the lion hunting, out of here, because you have to look at the lion hunting and the mule deer population. What people don't understand is that with all the ag-related activity, you know, the sheep guys, 
and the cattle guys in, in central Colorado and then even in southern Colorado, you know, basically where the big bucks come from, these guys have had their, their thumb on predators for the last hundred years, right? And so don't kid yourself that that's not a reality. If that comes off, your deer hunting here is going to shit. I, I guarantee yep. it. And so, and, yep. and so everybody needs to kind of acknowledge that, not just here in Colorado, you know, because it's, it's, it's a good state to hunt deer for everybody, you know. Yeah, so we got to get on this draw, Jay. Man, what I know, <laughs> I know. It's awesome, though. It's awesome stuff. Um, your units, the primary unit, the, the primary unit that you hunt is twenty-five, and you're hunting in the flat tops wilderness. And there, yep. there's. You, give me kind of an idea of the span of country that you hunt from miles, like north to south and east to west. What kind of what? What are we talking roughly? So, you know, the, the way that I've thought about it is I think that I, I consistently hunt probably around 80, 80 to 85,000 acres is probably what I hunt, Jay. Um, in terms of square mileage, I, you know, unfortunately I can't pop it off the top of my head. Um, but the furthest, the furthest camp I hunt is, you know, four, and a half, four, four and a half hours, right? That's like kind of the... The, the far range of, of where I hunt. And so that, that four and a half equates, hours by, by horseback, right? Yeah, four and a half hour on horse. And so you can, you know, usually when somebody gives you uh, time on horses, you can, you can roughly multiply by three, and that's, that'll be trail mileage, right? So you're talking 12 miles, you know, one direction. We probably hunt a little bit on the other side of that. So let's say 13 by probably, I don't know, 10, you know, probably 10 or 15 wide. Yeah. Last year, well, last year you guys shot some great deer. The year before that, you shot some great deer. You know, like we talked, it seems like your area, you know, and I think it's a reflection of, you know, Colorado's quality as well, like we talked about. I mean, you guys have been shooting some good deer, um, and you've been booking clients, uh, you know, that want to hunt those big deer. Um, as far as your deer hunts looking forward, uh, for 2018, um, what seasons do you think are going to be the best? Um, how do you see the deer hunt shaping up in your units? So, I, I mean, third, so third and fourth season are going to be the best. Um, you know, the, the draw will tell you that fourth is, is, you know, five times as good. It's actually, it's really not. It might be, it might be 30, 40% better, you know, honestly, Jay, and then, the, the reason I say that is, yeah, they're thicker in the rut for sure, but you also have a shorter time frame to hunt. So I, I always think that, that that gap between third season being, you know, a lot, a lot of units, third season's one point and fourth season's ten points, you know. So I think that gap kind of gives, kind of, I guess I'd say the value investment's more like third season, right? Um, right. And, and so... I think that'll continue to produce just because of the dates. Um, you know, I think second season, um, I mean, you can kill big deer. It's just harder. You know, it's just harder. It's, it's just a harder time to hunt them. You're not going to see the density of deer. I think, um, but the tag availability everywhere is pretty good second season, or most places. Um, so right. I think that's, you know, you're, I, think, I think about that. We've talked about, like, you know, a lot of these second-season choices 
in some of these great units, you can actually get a tag, you know, pretty easily and have a decent sure. chance to draw it. And it, you know, it doesn't affect your, your first choice preference point. And, you know, a unit that jumps out at me is like that 35, what is it, 35, 36, right up there, not in your unit there, but just, you know, by Eagle and, and yeah, uh, all around Bale and what river. have you. I mean, I mean, that's a unit there you can draw, you know, second, you know, that second season fairly, you know, fairly easier. Yeah, and in those bucks, like in those units over there, you know, uh, uh, I guess that'd be north side of Vale or whatever. I mean, those deer are in there during second season for sure. You know, and that, and yeah. you know, a lot of those areas you got to work to get into. And in my unit is very much that way, to be honest with you, Jay. I mean, one of the reasons it's going to draw pretty easy, you know, even in third season, is because access is tough, right? It's mostly wilderness. But over in that country, I mean, I can, I mean, you know, I. I I score for Boone and Crockett and stuff, and I can tell you that big deer come out of that, you know, a lot of that country that you're talking. And But guys work hard at it, but, yeah, I mean, they're there. It's not like they're moving in there. It's not like, yeah. you know, it's not like second season they don't exist. They're they're in the same area. Your units, uh, last year you, you got a couple deer over 200 inches, didn't you? Yeah, right, or right at 200. Yeah. So, I mean... With the mild winter, I mean, are you do you have high hopes that you know someone you know someone or a couple of your hunters potentially are going to kill some, you know, some of those two hundred inch plus type bucks? I mean, a couple of years ago, you got that one that was like two thirty, didn't you? Yeah, so I mean, twenty five or so. Yeah, they're not the norm, but I would say we're still we're gonna consider, we're gonna kill a couple of that kind of deer. You know, not the big, not the mid two hundred type of deer, but you know the. The 190 to 200-inch deer, I, I, I would, you know, it's a hard question to answer, Jay, because I hope, right? But I don't see any reason why we won't, we, we won't still kill that type of deer. Um, the caveat is, is that I'd say that my, my guides and, you know, and stuff, they work pretty darn hard to, to get those deer, you know. Um, but how, how, how is, like, go ahead. How, how does it, it's hard when you have, you know, you run a, a big operation with a lot of hunters and, and you have, you know, a lot of smiling faces, but it's tough hunting still. How is it to manage the hunter expectations when you have several people that shoot some really big deer and then you have people that shoot, you know, 160, 170-inch deer? You know, when you get calls and talk to people, obviously everyone sees the pictures of the giant deer, um, but that's not the norm. Um, you know, how do you manage that when you talk to people on the phone about your hunt? Yeah, you know what, I, I've just, and, and you know the outfitting business is, as well as I do, Jay. I mean, it's like managing expectations is a whole thing, right? You want people, you want people to, to get what you, what you sold them. So, I mean, basically I'm, you know, you're just you're just honest with people. They the lucky thing I have is that I can honestly tell people that you can kill it. There there's nowhere anywhere else that says can say that they have better genetics than my unit and the surrounding units. Right? It's just it's pretty much a fact. Um, but it's it's just a it's it's really rare to kill a big you know those big behemoth deer. It's really rare on one of my hunts to kill a deer that's a bigger than 200 inch deer right but the hopes right. the hopes there um and then you know if, 
and basically if a guy if a guy is adamant he needs to kill a 200 inch deer um you know i just it's not like i'm offended by it or anything i know i know the places where they kill they can they can consistently kill those on every hunt and i send them to those places and th- those hunts are 20 25,000 bucks you know what i mean and right. so in in and that's that's just the reality of of stuff i mean we're so the wilderness stuff is nice and it's my, my wilderness is is that way but a lot of other wilderness areas it's like um you know it's like forrest gump it's a box of chocolates you never know what you're gonna get and uh yeah. that makes it kind of awesome you know what i mean yeah for sure uh Going back a little bit to your hunts, uh, there's circumstances where guys can have an elk tag and a deer tag in their pocket at the same time with the way that the season dates, you know, coincide. Uh, yep. Do you, do you take lots of combo hunters? Um, and have you seen those combo hunters? I would assume in the past, before there was limited draw for deer in Colorado, the combo hunt was the big thing where... Um, you know, I'm sure even the guys before you in the flat tops, that was a huge thing. It's hunt mule deer and, and elk at the same time. Sure. Do you still get yeah, quite a so bit I, of combo yeah, action? Yeah, I get a lot of guys that do that. Um, and then this last, you know, it kind of varies year to year, but this last year I had, I had several guys kill both a bull and, and, and the deer. Um, again, it's, it's not the norm, but when conditions are right, you know, it's, you can, you can do it for sure. And it depends on the guys too, you know, just how they hunt, their experience level, all that. But I, I would say that for, you know, that's why a lot of guys like to hunt with me is that they can, they can hunt both. You know what I mean, Jay? And then, you know, in, in September, guys can hunt bears too. And, and so, like I said, not a lot, not a lot of guys are infatuated with that, but if they can add it, you know, if they can add it to a hunt, it's not a big deal. For sure. Um, you, they just added, I believe last year, maybe the year before, a high country rifle mule deer hunt and you kind of had mixed emotions i think about that when i talked to you last time in that you know you see big deer you you know you've shot a couple big deer but it seemed like last season you just said for whatever reason it was just a weird year and that that rifle you know velvet you know quote unquote velvet hunt just wasn't what you expected it to be is that hunt um do they have that hunt this year and what are your thoughts on that yeah, so um, they do they they do have the hunt this year, um, and so I'll just run through real quick. You know, last year on it, uh, I had I had I had two hunters book for it, and what I and I I, I calculated I had spent like something like twelve to fifteen guide days, you know, up scouting for deer for that hunt, and I in like you know in late August, and I couldn't turn up a buck worth shooting, which is really an anomaly. You know, usually that time of year I can find, you know, several deer, a bunch of different bachelor groups in the high country. You know, my, my theory on it is we had that, we kind of had a dry spring, and so there was no, <clears throat> there was no new growth on the willows, and I just couldn't, they weren't, they weren't feeding where I usually find them. I don't know if that's the reality or not, but we couldn't find them. So um, I had one guy still adamantly wanted to go. I sent one guy to a friend. Um, a, a friend of mine who's an outfitter on the other side of the flat tops, he ended up killing, you know, probably, I don't know, 
deer that's a little bit over 170 inches, but a real pretty velvet deer, you know. Um, and then my guys ended up wounding one, but it was a it was a hard it was a hard hunt. Um, I you know this year, Jay, and it's partly a business thing, but it's partly just I don't want to I don't it, the problem with the tags is these guys you know it, it it goes back to expectation thing. You know if one of your viewers has got you know 15 points and he and he blows on that tag. Um, the big deer are there, but it's just, it's just hard, right? Because I can, you know, you can guide a guy, go up there and there's a 200 inch buck laying in the wide open basin and, you know, you kill it and first day it was fantastic. Or you could have an incredibly difficult hunt for seven days. And for me personally, I'm just going to lay off the hunt. Um, you know, not, if a guy really wanted you to, push me on it and they just are adding it they want to hunt the high country with the rifle would i do it yeah i probably would but i just right now after last year it being tough i don't know you know it could change this year but the other thing is the reality is is that i get so bombarded with goat hunts that it just it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for me to push it to be honest with you um but i'm just kind of trying to see see how it goes well it sounds like you're you don't want to take anybody on a rough hunt and you're going to let it you're going to let it kind of do its thing and if over time you notice okay these, you know we're starting to get a bead back on these bucks these velvet bucks i mean it's something in the future to look at but what you're saying is you don't want to look someone in the eye and them saying oh i'm going to waste all these points on it and and it not be a quality hunt if you notice that hey you know this is starting to come around again we're starting to notice these bucks in the summer in the velvet and we've got a bead on it it might change you, yeah, you, yeah. Or if it gets a little bit easy, it could you know it could be a little bit easier to draw or something like you know that yeah. that too, you know because if it was a if it was a four point deal, yeah, I'd say let's do it. Get, be ready for a hard hunt, but that's that's we'll, we got a good chance of killing a monster deer in a pretty nostalgic setting. But right now, you know what it's taken thirteen, fourteen points and can be tough. You know it's I'm. I'm I basically yeah. I just not digging it right now. <laughs> I got you. You know, I, I want people to be happy, you know. Perfect. Yeah, I understand. You you segued me into goat hunts. You are a goat nut. What is your fascination with goats cuz I I mean um Peter that's the head of the Goat Foundation or the Goat Alliance. Um he's a nut, you're a nut. Like you are a nut about goats. What is it that just drives you nuts about those things <laughs> uh i don't I, you know i i couldn't pinpoint it jay i mean the one thing that's nice about goats is that uh if a guy's killed there's there's generally no easy goat right like a goat you know i mean there might be some odd exception out there but there's goats don't run out in the middle of the road um you know they don't uh they don't walk in the are, camp. Are you talking like typically. a turkey? Are you are you saying they don't run out and like a turkey? Was that a dig at me? You were you were taking a jab at me, weren't you? <laughs> you know, but you know what you know what I mean? Like they don't they they just and it's just the nature of where they live, right? You gotta work to get up to them. So I think I enjoy right. that. But you know the honestly I actually really like the species just from a biological standpoint. They're super interesting. Um you know they're they're really uniquely adapted. Uh, I won't say they're the most intelligent animal. They're not to me on just pure in, instincts and predator prey dynamic. 
elk are the like heavily hunted elk are the hardest thing to kill, right? Um, but in terms of just being super evolved for their habitat and just a cool animal, I, I'd take goats any day, you know. And you did a bunch of goat hunts, and you love taking goat hunters. Um, let's talk a little bit about the units. Um, why don't you break sure. down kind of your, your top units, the units you like, and talk a little bit about them. Just I'll give you, give you the rein to go for it. Okay. Yeah, so right now in the goat deal in Colorado, if you've got a fairly high number of goat points, you should probably start to try to do it. Um, the general view on goats, it seems to be in, 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 from the fishing game guys, and it, they're overt about it in a couple units, is they want to knock down the population pretty heavily in certain areas. And there's a bunch of theories why that is. Uh, the main thing is I'd say in the, in the maroon bells and then kind of over there a little bit on the, you know, towards uh, those Buena Vista, you know, the Independence Pass and the, that, they're real concerned that the goats are having a negative impact on the, on the bighorns, right? Uh, I don't know if there's any truth to that or not. But anyways, they have pretty high quotas, like unsustainably high quotas in a couple units. The main one that's probably going to come up on most people's radars, particularly for non-residents, is 12. Um, and you've been in that unit probably, Jay, in, in the Maroon Bells. Yep. Yeah, and so uh, I, I've, guided, I've guided a bunch in the unit. There's a lot of goats in it. Um, it's, it's intensely – so the thing about that unit is there's a, there's a lot of human activity, more so than almost anywhere else I've hunted. Um, and so you have to deal with that, and then there's good there's, – there's lots of access points, right, and there's good trails because of that human activity. But that doesn't make – the terrain any less rugged where the goats live so i would say it's on the far i mean like if you're going to be picky on the goat you harvest it can get wild really fast in that unit just because of the terrain um but right now i i, I mean i personally think it's a pretty i mean if you if you want to kill a goat in the next two or three years and you're in your resident or non-resident sitting with 10 points or whatever you know, you you got a really good chance of drawing that tag because they're putting out something like, I think, 60 or 65 total tags in that unit right now. Um, and then, so I'd say the unit next to that, it you know, as you go towards Independence Pass and towards Buena Vista is G13. I've guided that unit quite a bit. And that's kind of, they kind of knocked that population. They did the same thing to it they're doing what they're currently doing to the Maroon Bells unit, and they knocked that population back, but now they've kind of, they're still, I think they give out something like 25, 26 total tags in that unit. That unit has less density than uh, G12, um, but I personally, I prefer guiding in that unit, and I think kind of the overall hunting experience is better, um, just because you don't have as much non-hunter traffic, and then even within the hunting, you're not, you're not constantly running into goat hunters. I mean, that G12 with that many goat tags, I mean, you're basically, it, you know, you're going to run into other goat hunters for sure. Um, so, but the, the negative side of G13 is that, uh, you know, it's, um, it's harder to draw, right? So that's the, and those are, those are your, the two big units that I'm familiar with that are going to have, you know, decent chances for non-residents. Um, 
but I'm trying to think who else has a non-resident tag. Um, I know G6 doesn't, uh, G3 and G2, which are the other main ones that I'm that I've guided in. But I'll go over them real quick, anyways. Jay, G2 is probably my favorite unit to hunt. It's so it'd be south of the Collegiate Peaks, right out of Buena Vista. Um, it's it's pretty hard to draw, but if you got a lot of points and you're willing to wait it out like you don't have to go hunt g12 while they're while they're pumping such a high quota of tags out i think g2 is a good bet it's a super fun hunt hunt it's like there's a lot of there's a lot of road access up high but the, but you it can still get really physical because what you'll end up doing is hiking into little hidden basins and a lot of those little basins you'll be completely by yourself and you can find goats in them um you know that's like g2 g3 um, even G13 to some extent, it doesn't have the intense rugged nature of the maroon bells, like the re the real sheer craggy nasty high elevation stuff. It has more of that. It's more mild terrain. It's big mountain country. I mean, it's you know there's tons of 14ers and that stuff, but it's just a little bit more comfortable to hunt, I'd say, than G12 is in general. Um, so uh, G2, uh, as I said, one of my favorites. Uh, G3 is just north of it. It's good and it's easier to draw, but the problem is, is it's you have to hunt the wilderness for the most part. That Collegian Peaks wilderness, and it's just it's just harder to hunt. If a guy's really you know wanting to do a backpack hunt or whatever, I you know it's 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 a fine unit. It's, it's got plenty of goats in it, and it's kind of like G2 in the sense that there's just not a ton. Of goat, pre you know, goat hunting pressure, um, and then your odds are better than G two. Probably, I think they're probably it's probably half as hard to draw G three than it is G two, um, and that's because of the access, right? Like, not everybody, you know, a lot of guys that are getting where they're gonna draw. You know, there's always that random element, but the reality is, once you get to you know twelve to seventeen points, like you got a lot of tickets in that raffle per se, right? Um, those older, the, you know, the older you get, it's just harder to hunt some of that goat country. And I'd put G3 in kind of that that spectrum just because it's that wilderness area. You've got to get in there somehow. Uh, G6 uh, over here, um, you might have been in that area too, the Gore Range. You ever hiked in there before, yep. Jay? Yeah. And so it's, you know, where the goats live in that country, it's pretty serious business. They mostly live in the wilderness area over there. Um, I guess it'd be north, north of Vale, northeast of Vale. Um, I think it's a great unit. You just, you, you got to have the right, got to be the right type of guy. I mean, like that unit, it's not really good for horses because most of the trails are, are pretty tight and basically you're going to go up with horses and then end up going up, you know, going up above Timberline on foot anyways. So that's more of a backpack deal. Um, I kind of think really that, that that group of goats is doing a whole lot better than the fishing game thinks they're doing, which is which is nice, right? Um, so that's that's a good hunt too. It's just that's that's probably the most physical because it kind of combines the the intense rugged nature of the maroon bells with the fact that it's. It's like a deep wilderness. I mean, the Maroon Bells is a wilderness, but a lot of the stuff you can still hike into. You're, like, in the wilderness pretty quick. The Gore Range, a lot of that, you've got a three-, four-hour hike before you're really even hunting goats. So um, that's kind of the overview. You got any questions on them? You know, the, the general quality of them, 
you know, in terms of the quality of the goats, there's not a huge amount of difference. I've I've guided in all these er- all these areas, and I don't see a drastic difference. A lot of that has a lot of what actually gets harvested by the hunters I guide tends to have more to do with um, how hard they want to push it. You know what I mean? A lot of guys get into goat hunting and they want to be, you know, they really want to be specific about size and everything. And then after they do a couple stocks, you know, an eight inch billy is looking pretty fantastic, you know? So, <laughs> um, it, you know, it, it's just, you know, I mean, one thing about goat hunting that if you have not done it before and you haven't been in that, that country is it, it'll take your breath away because it's stunning and no other animal is going to take you up there. But regardless of what shape you're in, it'll, it, it's, it'll make you kind of give you butterflies a little bit. So general quality is good across all of them. I, I mean, like G12, because they've been pounding it, you know, you're not going to find, you're probably not going to find mature billies in the more accessible area you know, more accessible areas, but, um, there's still good goats in it. They just, they're going to be in harder spots. Does that give you a good overview? Yeah, for sure. I appreciate it. I know you're a goat nut and, um, I always like following your Instagram and seeing all your goat pictures and seeing you in the backcountry. <laughs> you, you seem like you're, you're, uh, right in your element when you're up there at 12,000 feet and, um, having a ball. Yeah, they're, they're so a we, fun, uh, fun animal, man. So we've covered elk, we've covered deer, we've covered goats, and the biggest question of all is how are the turkeys in the backyard doing? <laughs> all I know is I, I, I drew my tag. Um, so, you're n- so now you drew your tag, you're not going to tell me, are you? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to be closed-lipped on that. Yeah, you're clamming. Yeah, no, I, 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 I just laugh that that uh, our turkey tag our turkey tags we have to draw here, but no, uh, my wife drew one too, so that's what we're gonna we're we're gonna try to pull it off before I head to Canada. You know, I got the the much for the spring bear season, so uh, I think I'm only gonna have a couple weeks. But I'll I'll, I'll send you a picture of a monster, Miriam. Are you are you gonna hunt them here in Colorado, or you got oh you got your other turkey hunts right? Yeah, I got the Gould hunts in Mexico, and then I'm hoping to get back in time for the season and maybe run over to the Ot Six Ranch um, and go go check out the birds down there because we have a ton of birds. But uh, yeah, I love uh, I love those Merriams, white tip Merriams. They're beautiful. Um, you bring up a good point. I want to ask you about your bear hunts. Uh, you do spring bear hunts in Canada, and you have great success up there. Talk. Uh, I know we don't have a ton of time, but talk a little bit about your bear hunts. And if people, obviously, they want to hear more about it, they can contact you. But you've you've done really well with your bear hunt. Yeah, so I kind of, I got into, I guess it's been three years doing it. And uh, I'll be quick about it, Jay. They're a really fun hunt. Um, The the density of bears in British Columbia, so it's a spot and stock hunt. there's no baiting allowed in British Columbia, but the reality is the terrain allows it, right, because of the logging activity there. So you're in the mountains, but for the most part, you're hunting, you know, old cut, they call them cut blocks, and most Americans call them clear cuts. But there'll be clear cuts that are a couple years old, and you can do just a ton of glassing. So to me, it's like the, I always call it like the most underrated 
mountain hunt, right? Because it, to me, it's a lot like our deer hunts. It's a lot like our elk hunts, those kind of things, because you're basically hunting them the same way. It's vehicle-based, like you'll drive to glassing points, but you're basically glassing up bears and then and then spot and stocking them, right? Um, they got big bears. The density of bears there is high. Uh, it's you know it's there. It's as close to a hundred percent harvest rate that you can get to. Um, it's good with a bow or a rifle, and uh, they're just fun hunts. It's a good time to do it, right? Because I mean, most guys here in the U.S. don't have a, you know a whole lot. Of, I mean, some of the states have spring bear hunts. I can I, you know not to be too arrogant about it, but I can say that BC's spring hunts the only comparable state's going to be alaska right in terms of black bears everything else i mean my bears here in colorado and and all the bears in montana and idaho i mean it's a generalization but to generalize it the bears in bc are bigger and there's a whole lot more of them um so it's a good hunt I, you know I, I am booked in this coming spring here but i'm i'm starting to book in 2019 so if anybody's interested give me a call Right on, man. I want to take a second here and thank the sponsors of the podcast. We've talked about Go Hunt Insider being the title sponsor, and I want to remind the listeners to use the J. Scott promo code when signing up, and if you do, you're going to get a $50 Go Hunt gift shop, gear, uh, gear shop gift card, and you can use that immediately to um, buy something at the, the uh, gear shop. Uh, I also want to thank um, phonescope.com, and if you use the J. Scott 16 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. And PhoneScope makes the adapters where you can adapt any uh, cell phone, you know, an iPhone or an Android phone with any optic, you know, whether it be a spotting scope or binocular. If you use the J. Scott 16 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. And if you go to Kuyu, that's K-U-I-U.com, <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm losing my voice here. If you go to Kuyu.com, you're going to see why uh, Kuyu makes the best ultralight hunting gear on the market today. And then the Optics Authority, the Outdoorsman's, uh, 1-800-291-8065 or Outdoorsman's.com. If you use the J. Scott promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. Cliff, I want to thank you for coming on and sharing with us about your hunts there at Flat Tops Wilderness Guides. I uh, want to give you a chance to tell people where they can uh, read more read more about it, uh, how they can get a hold of you if they want to do a hunt for, for elk, uh, for deer, for goats, um, or, or what have you. So would you please um, let the listeners know. I'll also have links um, in the show notes of this podcast too. Yes, I mean, the the best way, Jay, is just my website, and it's ftguides, so ftguides.com. That'll take you there. All the details on all my hunts are there, all my contact info. So that's everybody's best bet, and they can send me emails via that. And then, of course, Instagram, right? I've got to catch up to you. What do you got? You got like 50,000 followers now or whatever. I'm, I'm just... <laughs> Just, just you know, waddling around here in the in the muck, <laughs> trying to get two thousand. So uh, Instagram's good. It's Cliff. So it's Cliff G R Y. So C L I F F G R Y. But what, yeah, man, thanks for having me have Gray. Did someone have Cliff Gray already? So you had to shorten your name. You know, I feel like we or did you did you misspell did know. you misspell it? I mean, I, I typoed my own name and just just went with it. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's actually. You would think yeah, a Stanford I, grad would be able to spell his own name instead of Cliff. Yeah, you'd think so. Because you know, be I think what it was is I just uh, had an email like that or something, and so I just stuck with it. So, but thanks for calling me out. <laughs> anyways, everybody remember it now. <laughs> everybody will remember it now, so that's all right. And uh, you won't be sorry because he's got a lot of cool stuff. I've been digging the um, some of those old photos that you put on there from like back in the seventies with the snow like over the top of the outfitter tents. It's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, back uh, back when we had winter, man. But no, I, I've got a you know I get a lot of guys that send me those old pictures and stuff, and then I have a book of them too that a that an, uh, a guy actually uh, put together. So I'll keep posting them. I've got a bunch of them. But thanks, man. I appreciate the feedback. Sounds good. Now the next question that I'll finish with is: When are you going to come over here and go skiing with me? Yeah, I'm gonna. I'll, I'm. I might take you up on that in the next couple weeks. I've got to get, you know, because I've got my five-year, my five-year-old now has got to get going. So, uh, I was thinking I might go out and ski. Maybe I'll take you up on that, and then I can, I can get her out. I got to get all my gear awesome. out, anyways, you know. But yeah, Let's no, it. it sounds like you've been hitting it hard, so that's good. We need, we need a little more snow hard. to freshen it up. I'm a classic resort skier, but I love it. Um, like we were talking before, 20 years without doing it, and now I'm just having a ball and um, getting ready. <laughs> I'll be going back uh, to Arizona and, and heading down to Mexico and doing my Gould's turkey hunts. Um, but uh, we're going to, and then back here to Colorado to do a bunch of fishing this summer. But uh, yeah, been enjoying skiing and getting back into it. And the equipment's amazing. And I uh, would love to have you over. And, and uh, yeah, buddy, thanks for we'll sharing with us. And uh, hopefully we don't get too much hate mail for all of the. Uh, uh, political topics that we that we just kind of brushed the surface on, but uh, I guess I really I just don't hit, care. To I be just if, with you. If, if I just hit spam. I just mark those people's emails <laughs> spam. Block so, and delete. Good. <laughs> Block, delete. Yeah, but no, all right, it's all buddy. good. I, I'm, 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 I welcome all opinions, man. But all right, yeah. Jay, thanks a lot. Catch you later, buddy.